the Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live, and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Derek McCarson, the Four Horsemen. We want to welcome you back to this latest episode of the Four Horsemen podcast. Uh, We are all here, the Derek McCarson. Amen. The Dennis Thurman. (laughs) Right on, right on, right on. And the right and honorable Benjamin Kerfman. (laughs) Honorable. Yes, honorable. (laughs) But um, it's better than dishonorable. That's true. That's true. And who are you? I am the Andy Stanley. No, Adam (laughs) Black. Adam (laughs) Stanley. It's so funny because I've now met several people who have met, know me through the elephant room or through Facebook. And they're like, do you really like him that much? It's been, it's just, it's just one of these days before it gets around to him and you're going to get a call from Andy (laughs) one day. And Adam, I just want to thank you for, well, I was supposed to go to that. I was supposed to go to that conference and I was going to get my picture made with him. And uh, anyway, one day we'll be so famous. We'll have a four horseman conference featuring (laughs) Andy Stanley. We'll do do a panel discussion. I just like his leadership stuff. But anyway, um, one of the things we wanted to do, uh, an episode, uh, we we kind of did this at the beginning, but to kind of talk on news subjects and hot topics um, of the day and, and the way we were recording was making it difficult, but the way we're doing it now uh, makes it easier. Uh, and unless you've been under a rock over the last two weeks, uh, the news coming out of New York about their new abortion law. Uh, everybody has been uh, discussing that and arguing about that and and um, things of that nature. And I think we, if we have the possibility, we'll probably post the link to the law so that you can actually read it for yourself. But the whole idea is, is that uh, the state is going to allow uh, f- for abortions after 24 weeks up to birth uh, with the recommendation of a uh, I don't even know how you would word it. A specialist. It doesn't even have to be a physician anymore. Uh, it could be someone, uh, who can designate that the baby, uh, either the mother's health is in jeopardy or the uh, baby's life, uh, it, it will not survive. And so that's kind of the, the take that the New York, uh, law came about. And it's interesting because right below it, it, it talks about what homicide is. And part of that homicide is unborn children. So I don't know how they uh, wrestle that. Um, but then come out, the North uh, Virginia's governor come out and was basically uh, making statements towards infanticide in which he would be okay with the baby. Uh, not, I wouldn't say being killed, but not being taken care of once it has been born that they wouldn't try to resuscitate it. Um, if the mother didn't want it to live, that he would be okay with them not resuscitating it and eventually just letting it die. So abortion has been such a hot topic for years, but just it's been kind of prevalent over the last couple of uh, weeks. So what I want to do, though, is I want to kind of hit on uh, some of the arguments that are made for abortion, uh, and we want to try to talk about those. And I want to use the first one that I have heard personally a bunch And here we are, there's four guys sitting in this room, four men, and one of the arguments is what gives us the right as men to be able to speak against something that uh, a choice that a woman 
should make. So what is you guys response to that for someone who wants to make that argument that, that us guys cannot have a voice into this discussion? Well, um, my reaction would be, we certainly have a voice in producing that baby. Uh, it does require sperm. Last time I checked. To, uh, <laughs> Except once. PG-13. Yes. <laughs> so uh, listen, I'm using the proper terminology. <laughs> Uh, and, and so I think because of that, we certainly have a right. Uh, it probably goes beyond that, but that, that would be one point that I would make. That would be your point. You guys got anything to add to that? Well, I would say that the issue really isn't a, a gender thing. It's not me as a man. Am I unqualified to, to weigh in on that? I think it's, it's a, a, at its basic core, it's about life right. and, we all hold our own lives precious, and so um, we need to divorce it from it being a political issue to being just a basic ethical question. And if we as humans can't get together on basic principle of life, then how can we agree on anything? Right. Uh, so you have to move the move the stick, so to speak, um, from it being a me too political social issue to being. Uh, really a philosophical ethical question about uh, is life sacred or is life secondary? Is it expendable or is it precious? And um, make it about the philosophical underpinnings of the, the discussion. One of the things too uh, that I've thrown back, the idea behind that is unless you have a first person experience, you should not be able to have uh, a voice in that. So, uh, a woman who has never been pregnant, who, who doesn't know what that's like, can they have a voice on it? Well, they would say, well, no, she's a woman. Well, if I'm a man, can I speak for abortion, like mm. being pro-choice? Mm. Will they criticize me for that? No, they want it all mm. because it's it's just wanting to fit their narrative. Right. Um, and so, I, like you said, I think it's a great point. It's not about a, a, a woman's, the women's health, women's reproductive right thing. I think it is such a a lie and such mm -hmm. a shifting uh, of terminology. Right, it's a word game. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think I would tell them that arguments don't have body parts, <laughs> um, which is which is true. The only reason why this issue, why an argument like that even exists, is because we're in a postmodern culture. Right. Because right. the culture that we live in doesn't believe that there is objective truth, and so my experience defines yeah. what truth is. And so, because you can't experience what I experience then you don't have a right to say uh, or have an opinion on what I have because I create reality with my own mind and with my own experiences. The argument that the Christian worldview makes is, is like, no, reality actually exists separate from you, and you don't define what it is. Right. And so when it comes to something like an argument for abortion or for life or whatever, um, the argument is not dependent on your feelings or experiences. It actually exists in the real world separate from you, which means anybody else in the real world has a right to speak to it ontologically in the sense of uh, what is real and what is not real. And so for somebody to say, I can't have an opinion on abortion because I'm not a woman, uh, has nothing to do with whether abortion exists, has nothing to do with whether it affects me as an American citizen or whether or not I have a right to speak about it because that person's experience doesn't define what I'm able to do. Right. It's great. And what if I identify as a woman that day? 
Right. Yeah. Well, in order to do point. that, I mean, the, I the mean, first the first question in 2019 is, did you just assume my gender? <laughs> yeah, I mean, point. what right do you have to tell me that I that I'm not a woman and I can't have that experience? Well, and, here, and here's the absolute nettiness of the progressive mindset is that you have these feminists who are promoting that. And then they also would be supportive of you can't identify your baby as whatever, you know, right. it's just genderless. And so you, you can't have it both. What Those are contradictory mm-hmm. thoughts. Those, those two movements. I mean, you, you actually have feminists and LGBT people like protesting at each other's events now <laughs> because the worldviews are they are contrary. You can't be a feminist and be a pro gender spectrum. You can't be both because right. because why do women mean anything if you can't define whether or not they exist? That's a good point. Mm-hmm. It's a crazy world we live in. <laughs> but but now that we've kind of established that us guys, we can discuss this topic. Another argument that I have heard, and, and it's kind of weird, especially online, is that oftentimes when I come out or, or I'm making uh, arguments against abortion and being pro-life, um, usually uh, I won't use any scripture. I won't use Bible verses or anything like that, but they'll automatically go to, well, the only reason you have that position is because of your religious faith. But here's the thing I want you to, everyone that's listening to this, you can use logic and science to debunk uh, the abortion argument. And and we know that God is the God of logic and God's the God of science. And so uh, it's, it's always been interesting that they fall back to, well, it's only because of your uh, religion. And Derek um, did, has a, a great blog. And if you want to follow it, it's DerekMcCarson.blogspot.com. And uh, last week he did an excellent blog on the sled argument that I first came in contact with uh, through the STR standard reason uh, uh a website and I, it's probably been around longer than that, but I want to let Derek kind of walk through the sled argument. Um, if you will. Sure. Thank you, Adam. Um, just begin by prefacing this by saying that as Adam pointed out, um, really abortion at its core, the discussion about it, the debate is really a battle of worldviews. It's a battle of mm-hmm. ideas. And so we all know that ideas have consequences. What we believe affects how we behave. And so what your worldview is on God, uh, creation, life, is absolutely going to affect uh, how you view the unborn. So, of course, we always hear one of the most popular arguments in favor of abortion kind of goes something like this, that the fetus is just a clump of cells, all right, that somehow the unborn are less human even though they're it's the product of two humans so if it's a product of two humans how can it be anything less than human um or that maybe it's a goat yeah <laughs> we just don't know we can't know we'll let it make up its own mind what it is <laughs> right yeah when it's anyway um or the pro chaucer would say that you know it the fetus isn't um a human being until it makes that journey down the birth canal. And then boom, (laughs) once the baby emerges, it's suddenly a human being as if eight inches makes a difference between (laughs) human and non-human. So those are the kind of arguments that we're going against. And well, unless of course you're the, uh, the black face, um, uh, Ku Klux Klan, uh, companion, uh, Michael Jackson, moonwalking governor of Virginia, then you can kill the baby once it's born. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, 
A few That's years ago, uh, I read a book, great book, uh, by a guy named Mark Foreman called Bioethics in Christianity. And this was the first place where I encountered the sled argument. But um, it's a it's a great argument. It's easy to remember. And it goes on the acronym S-L-E-D. So S stands for size. L is level of development. E is environment. And D represents degree of dependency. And so we can use those four points of the argument to uh, help uh, those who are in favor of abortion understand that really their argument doesn't have a leg to stand on. So size, for instance. Yes, it's it's true. Embryos are smaller uh, than newborns or adults, but uh, I don't think we can really make the argument that large people are more valuable than small ones. And so uh, men are generally larger than women, but that doesn't mean that our rights overshadow their rights. I'm bigger than Ben. Right. So I'm more human. And then there's uh, L, level of development. Um, Of course, 20-year-olds are more developed, we would hope, than 10-year-old. Unless Um, they're millennials. Right. So we shouldn't let the level of development uh, determine whether we believe that life is viable or not. Um, Level of development has nothing to do with it. Um, and then E is environment. You know, whether the located inside the mother's body or outside, that doesn't determine whether the child is human or not. And then, um, of course, D is degree of dependency. And that can go in all different kinds of directions. Uh, does dependence determine who you are? And, of course, we would say no. Uh, if somebody on kidney dialysis, they're dependent, of course, upon that machine. Are they less of a person? Right. Well, of course, the answer is no. And so we would say um, just because the child in the mother is dependent for on her for nourishment, that doesn't mean that uh, they are less than human. And, and so we all have kids. At what age are they are they completely dependent uh, from us? <laughs> my 22-year-old still in my basement. <laughs> But seriously, when you throw that out with that, they're like, uh, anyway, go ahead. So that's the sled argument. And again, um, that's the five minute version. It can be expanded or contracted depending on what kind of conversation you're in. But that, if you can master that, um, that can really give you a leg up when you're trying to discuss this with people. And the truth is, is I've, I've known about that for several years now. And and I've been in many discussions about abortion and, it always, almost always boils down to one of those four, right. one of those four things. They, well, it's just a clump of cells. Well, yeah. aren't we just a clump of cells? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. and, and you throw that back at them. And, and like you said, the, you, you, does that make me less or more of a human because I'm bigger uh, and, and people stumble. Another part that isn't a part of that, that uh, has kind of gained some notoriety because of Ashton Kutcher's post that he made last week is uh, quality of life. Um, and, and that actually deals with end of life issues as well, but that's for a whole nother episode, but the quality of life, um, they have those tests now that can test whether children will have down syndrome. Well, I think it was Iceland or one of those countries were aborting every child that was going to have down syndrome to try to eradicate, uh, down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Well, just because a, a kid has down syndrome, they're just as much of a person as I am and the quality of life, um, 
in that young man, and it was an incredible uh, interview. I think he did it in front of Congress. Um, was just incredible. He has Down syndrome, and he was just talking about how uh, how much his life uh, meant and how much he had worth. And and the sad reality is, is when you start going down that track of mm-hmm. of a quality of life situation man you're, it's you're a slippery slope you are getting into yeah. some eugenics <laughs> hitler stuff terry hollifield who used to be on here his mother uh was uh, told by uh, her doctor when she was pregnant with terry that she needed to abort that terry would not be anything that it was gonna he he was not he, he posted on his facebook page about his health and that he was going to struggle in life and that, that she needed to have an abortion and apparently got pretty upset that uh, that he wouldn't have a good quality of life, and obviously we see um, Terry today, and so um, it's it's scary times, and that we're defining uh, what it means to be human based on these things. And if if you want to get really scary, and I'm not going to go down this path too far, but if you you look at some of the quotes, and you can read some of the writings of Margaret Sanger, who was the uh, founder of Planned Parenthood. Uh, and you start reading her purpose behind Planned Parenthood and what her hopes were for Planned, Planned Parenthood was to get rid of African-Americans. And she wanted to have these clinics in the midst of African-American communities so that it would eradicate the African-American race. This is all you can read her. She would she would speak at Ku Klux Klan's rallies. And the sad reality is, if you look at where Planned Parenthood clinics are today, mm-hmm. they're in african-american communities and even in new york a, a kid has a better chance of an uh, african-american kid has a better chance of being aborted than being born <laughs> wow so so the so her vision for planned parenthood is coming to fruition and but that's a side of it that people don't really want to talk yeah. about. so every two weeks everybody listening to this podcast pays for the extermination of black people right with your tax money right and you don't have a choice you're forced to pay it. Now, if the KKK got up on TV and said, we want to kill black people, everybody would say that that's absurd. It's evil. We don't want anything to do with that. And we're all paying for it. Right. It's truth. But they play the semantic game and say, this is women's reproductive health. So they right, put a different yeah. label on it. Yeah, because abortions so is only seems, 3% of what Oh, and do, by the right? way, it's oh, it's... It's legal, so because it's legal, it must be right. It must be okay. So, so here, the, here's the, the trend. Thinking here's the trend that I see is <clears throat> what happens when people start becoming consistent. Because the apologetic movement for the last twenty or thirty years with abortion has been exactly what we've been talking about. It's an inconsistent statement to say uh, that basically you're not killing people. Like scientifically, you can prove it's a human being. You are ending the life of that human being. You are killing a person. That's not hard to prove scientifically. The reason why they uh, deny that is because they suppress the knowledge of the truth and unrighteousness. So, again, from my perspective, evidence isn't necessarily going to persuade them because they they support abortion because they're evil. But the the trend that I'm seeing culturally is people are going to start actually embracing a consistent worldview, which is eugenics. So uh, the argument of, you know, Abortion is wrong because you're killing a person. We're going to start getting people, and we even we are already who are saying it's okay to yeah. kill people. Population control. It's okay, yeah. Which, by the way, if you look at the statistics, we're we're on like a downward slide population wise. Everybody keeps talking about overpopulation. Uh, America, and especially in the church, 
Um, one of the biggest reasons why Islam is outpacing Christianity is just childbirth. It's a huge factor. But when you but when you uh, look at the from the worldview perspective, I'm starting to see more and more people who are basically making the argument that I know that abortion is killing people, but that's okay because they're not the people that we want. Right. Mm-hmm. And so whether that's Down syndrome, whether that's a, a, a person of a certain skin color, whatever it is, we're essentially saying as a society, um, we get the right. A, a parent should have the right to dis- to decide whether their child should exist or not. And guess what? We're even getting to the point where the government is going to have the right to decide whether you should have a child or not. Right. And we're going to end up like all these other countries where the government is trying to control all of that. And guess what? One of the best ways to wipe out Christianity is, well, Christians can't have kids anymore. Well, everybody in this room is holding up our end on having the kids. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to multiply and replenish the earth. Were you going to say something? Well, I was just going to say in, in China, of course, even though they've modified that policy a little bit now because uh, they saw the issues <laughs> it was bringing, it wasn't any kind of great convictional thing, but a very pragmatic one, but uh, where they were, you know, killing uh, children, uh, little uh, girl children. So, uh, you know, you could have one child and uh, hopefully that would be a boy. And they finally saw, you know, where that was headed. And, uh, and so, but I, I, I can foresee the same type thing that, uh, that's going on. Uh, the types of tests that can be done now, the DNA and genetic uh, testing and, uh, you know, all of that, the uh, sonogram that gives a wind in, into the womb, um, to where if there's the slightest concern a parent has that this child is not, uh, part of the master race, you know, Hitler's mm-hmm. thing of, you know, of engineering all of that. Then we'll we'll just get rid of it and we'll keep working and we get the the one that we do, and uh, you know we've got to do something about climate change and uh, <laughs> Save population the explosion mm-hmm. and all of that kind of nonsense. But but I think Ben's right in that we're we're coming at this from a logical standpoint, not just theological though we are, but scientifically. We, we know what life is, how it begins. We've seen the children, right. but it's like people do not care. Right. I don't mm-hmm. mean everybody, but, but so many of those that purport to be, well, we're scientific and rational and you're just a bunch of Bible thumpers. No, they're doing exactly the opposite. Right. You know, they're, they're buying into their feelings, you know, mm-hmm. about, about things. Right. They're, they're religious zealots. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's and that's the irony of it is that they're telling me because I'm a Christian because of what I do on Sunday culturally that I'm not allowed to have an opinion about science, but yet they're allowed to do things like uh, violate the rights of other people. But because they because they say that that's not a person according to their beliefs that they can't support with science, then it's really they're really not violating that person's rights. So they get to live in in a magic fairyland where they get to make up all the rules and don't have to obey science. But I'm the one that's illogical right. because I go to church on Sunday. Right. Yeah. It's a great point. And, you know, I heard you were talking about the, the, the advances and <laughs> I read this a while back that super liberal people that what, you know, they'll argue that people are born homosexual and there's a, there's a gay gene quote unquote. What if they were able to find that and be able to find that when the woman's pregnant and the woman decided to abort the baby because it was going to be gay, would they still support it? And they're like, Head explosion. But anyway, that's a, <laughs> wow. that's, that's another, uh, that's a whole other topic. But so we've talked about the logical and the scientific side of things, which hopefully we've done a good job in proving that, that this is a logical and a scientific 
uh, you can stand on both of those things and, and, and be against abortion. So let's talk about the theological side of things, about what it means to the value of human life and, and what the scriptures say about that. Okay, let me hit that one. And, um, you know, in Psalm 139, uh, the psalmist here says, You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. And so uh, even though this is uh, you know metaphorical language, uh, like uh, someone going down into the clay and and molding and shaping someone and bringing it into being. It's a, a picture of what happens in the formation inside the womb, how God as the potter is shaping the human clay. And and so God has a, an interest on what's happening in that in that womb. And he is very much involved in his, his sovereignty in bringing that life into being. God is the source of all life. I think about John the Baptist when his uh, mother Elizabeth is carrying him, uh, he's he's just that clump of cells that we talk about, and so here comes Mary, and Jesus now is in her womb, uh, as the Holy Spirit's performed that miraculous act on the on the Virgin, and and Jesus at this point is just like it's really just a few cells just beginning to develop, but in the presence of the Savior. John the Baptist leaps in his mother's womb. Uh, he recognizes what's going on. There's obvious life in, in celebration. And then I'll close that and leave uh, Ben to speak about some about uh, the sanctity of life and being made in the image of God and so forth. But, but let me hit Jeremiah. Jeremiah has the word of the Lord coming to him saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I was not called to preach till I was like maybe, uh, I think, about 20 years old. Uh, Jeremiah was called to preach when he was in his mother's womb. <laughs> and so obviously he was a, a human being with a destiny, uh, a mission from God. And uh, e even then, and God recognizes that. So biblically, and we could give many more references, and Ben can hit some of those uh, about that. So uh, Genesis 127 says, God made man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And so we understand that uh, basically everything that exists exists to bring God glory, and the way that it does that is by revealing him in some way. So everything that we see, feel, experience as humans is designed uh, to turn our attention towards God, including each other. And so when he makes himself in the image uh, in male and female, um, what he's doing is he's saying, uh, this is something that I'm like. It's like a shadow. It's not the same as the thing that it's representing, but it's similar to it. And in the same way, uh, mankind is that way. Uh, that's also the reason why Jesus was born uh, in a human body is he became a man to save men and to, uh, to reach men. And so, um, the idea of birth and, and the, the entire process of conception is God's idea. He started it. Um, and it ha it does have uh, sanctity because 
we are supposed to view each other as image bearers, which is part of the reason why our country even exists is the idea that human beings have intrinsic value. Um, When we talk about rights and things like that, um, the reason why I believe my fellow citizens have rights is not because the government says that they have rights. They have inalienable rights. Um, They're, they're inherent. They're, they are born with rights. Um, And we as humans have always recognized this as a society and it makes perfect logical sense um, that just like Derek said, you know, when the genetic material for a baby begins replicating, there's no question as to what it is. Like that's a, that's a ridiculous question. Uh, Like I said, you know, it might be a goat, might be a pigeon, who knows? Like, let's just wait and find out that's absurd and and it can't be proven scientifically. So we're we're talking about a human being, but we also acknowledge especially from a Christian worldview that there's more to being human than being genetically human, that, uh, that every human has, has an eternal soul, um, that God is uniting with that flesh and that that eternal soul also has value. In fact, it has more value than the human body because it's going to last forever. And so part of the reason why we're against abortion is the only time that, that a spirit is supposed to be separated from a body is when God does it. Um, and the fact that we want to, try to usurp his authority and do that for him or that we feel like we can sit in judgment on God and decide who and who shouldn't live, um, is not our place, uh, to do that. And, and not only that, but, uh, Dennis alluded on the idea of destiny. You know, we know clearly from scripture that everyone does have a destiny, that every single person is created for a purpose and that there are no accidental human beings, right. you know? So it's like, you know, Oh, well, you know, this child, you know, it, it was it was an unplanned pregnancy. OK, it was unplanned by you. It was completely planned by God. It's always been that way. Um, Isaac, the promised child, was an unplanned pregnancy. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Uh, uh, John the Baptist was an unplanned pregnancy. You know, these were things that were not expected. But the oh, difference Jesus. was, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, very unexpected. Um, the, the difference was, though, is that uh, in in the Bible, children are viewed as a blessing and not a curse. Yeah. In America, uh, children are a curse because they prevent us from pursuing the American dream. And they force us to stop being selfish, and we don't like that. And so, again, the issue that comes back, the, the pro-life, pro-choice argument is about sin. It's not really even about the babies. It's not about the doctors. It's not even about the science. It's about the fact of people are wicked, and they hate God, and the fact that God would tell them what to do or that God would force them to look to someone else other than themselves is a reminder to them that they're not in control, and we don't want to live that way. Right. And that's really what it comes down yeah. to. Yeah, and in fact, John eight forty four, Jesus said that Satan uh, was a murderer from the, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so this world lies under his domain, and people are infused with that, with that spirit. And you can just track that as soon as sin entered the world. What's the the real mm-hmm. uh, effect of that in the family? Here's uh, Cain killing his own brother Abel, and God, of course, confronts him about that awful deed that he has done. The blood crying out from the ground banishes Cain as a result of that. Then you follow the development of the human race, and basically, by the time of of Noah. The whole world was filled with violence. And so all of that bloodshed, God said, I've got to scour the earth clean. And so he's going to send the flood and judgment. And so there were other sins, of course, the people were engaged in, but that seems to be a very dominant uh, one. 
And then in the in the Ten Commandments, you know, you've got you shall not murder. So the sanctity of life is just a constant thread throughout Scripture. And yet the depravity of man that brings that kind of violence and that kind of hatefulness that is really beyond, like we said, beyond reason, beyond logic. It is a spiritual force that's at work woven in the very fabric of our DNA to actually people find pleasure in killing and doing those things. I just want to interject two thoughts here before we move on, Adam. I heard a a testimony of a lady who had an abortion, and she spoke in that um, presentation about what motivated her. And again, I, I know that people do a lot of things for a lot of different reasons, but this particular lady's testimony was that the thing that motivated her toward abortion was fear. And I think it's a, a common thing that the enemy uses to whisper in the ears mm-hmm. of a lot of women who get an unplanned pregnancy and the lie kind of goes something like this. This child is going to ruin your life. Mm-hmm. You're going to be handicapped your whole life. Uh, you can forget about a career. You can forget about a man ever loving you. I mean, yeah. and it, it's all tied back to fear, which is shame. Yeah. yeah, shame along with it and the loss of control. Like my, my life is spiraling out of control. And, or, you know, even in the instance of I was raped and, and mm-hmm. this, 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 uh, this is, a uh, a product of sin or whatever the case might be. But I think the enemy uses fear as a tool to drive women in this direction. And so I think uh, it's one thing we can do is, is to help the the women involved in this to realize that uh, number one, uh, yeah, things are going to be hard. It's not going to be easy, but this is why the church is here to help you to, un- to, to understand that this, mm-hmm. this child has meaning, this child has purpose. Yes, it's going to change your life, but it could change your life in a million different positive ways that you won't ever realize if you abort that life. Regardless how it came about. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, God can redeem yep. sin. God can mm-hmm. uh, take a negative and turn it into a positive, and we uh, don't want to overrule that and, and don't want to step in and because uh, God can take... Like Romans eight twenty eight says, uh, all things work together for good. Uh, it, it, it all in in the end, whether it's evil or sin or wickedness, God, God can even use that for His good purpose. So we don't have to give in to the fear. Um, and then another comment that I wanted to make about that is, if you have had an abortion and you are listening to this, um, the greatest thing that we can do as a church is accentuate the love and the mercy and the mm-hmm. forgiveness of Christ. Mm-hmm. Christ went to the cross for the this very thing right here. And that if you have had that abortion, you don't have to live in shame. You don't have to uh, continually uh, live in that fear or that regret um, because there is hope and his name is Jesus and he wants to offer forgiveness, mercy. And the good news is, I believe, as I think all of you guys do, is that... Uh, those children are going to be in heaven. Absolutely. And if uh, if you repent, if you trust in Christ, hey, you'll get to see that child one day. Absolutely. And I'm glad you went there because in wrapping up, you know, on a, on a short note, um, I think to wrap it up, every person has a purpose and a destiny and, and the, through the image of God as Ben was uh, discussing. And so regardless, like you were just talking about, regardless how, that child comes to be, uh, God has a plan. 
and 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 so again, regardless, and I know the rape issue is one that comes up a lot, which is very minute, but even when it does, the kid still has a purpose and still has a destiny. Yeah, in in a situation of rape, there's only one person that deserves to die. Right, and you and it's it, not, and it's not the the victim. Right, the child right. is it's a victim of that. Right? You never nowhere in society is the father or is the child executed because of the father's mm-hmm. guilt. Nowhere you don't find that. But um, but in wrapping up real quick, you know the churches, our church in particular, we're we're getting ready to partner with um. Our local pregnancy support, they're uh, a Christian organization, and I'm sure they're, if you're listening, uh, if you're around the Asheville area, mountain area, pregnancy support does an outstanding job. Um, they give they, they give this the true health care uh, that is advertised at Planned Parenthood, but it's legit there. It's not all about abortion. And um, one of the statistics, it's like 99 or 97 percent of women who actually have a sonogram they don't have an abortion. And there's a lot to be said about that because once you see it, there's no doubt mm-hmm. of what it is. And so, but I think what Derek said is key that it's the role of us as Christians, man, to, to love on people, to show them grace, to show them mercy, to be there for them. Um, you know, it, if there's a woman who has a quote unquote unplanned pre- pregnancy, you don't, you don't celebrate the sin, but yet you, you embrace her and walk along and help her the very best you can, because, you know, we're all sinners saved by grace. And so, um, can, can I put a plug in? Yeah, go for we it. have a lady in our congregation, Gloria Anderson, yeah. who's written a book called beauty from my ashes. And right. I would recommend you get that. It's a very graphic and pointed book, but it talks about her journey out of sin uh, to meet the savior. And she had an abortion and she dealt with that guilt and she wondered, though, if the church could love her and accept her. So, you know, not trying to make heroes out of our congregation. We're just doing what we think every church ought to do. And, and that is we did love her and we did help her find uh, the cleansing and comfort that comes uh, from the Lord. But we do want everybody to know there. And I guarantee it would be Barberville or Westwood or Liberty or Pole Creek and many other churches are out there that even though we don't condone sin, we'll speak, you know, forcefully against it. That uh, it's like if you're trying to jump off a bridge, I want to do everything I can to stop you. But if you jump, I want to do everything I can to try to help you pick up the pieces Mm -hmm. and get your life uh, restored. And so that's what we're all about. Right. And that, again, is uh, Beauty from My Ashes by Gloria Anderson. It is a it's a great book. Um, Highly recommend it. But um, we hope this episode has been helpful. Have a good one. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina.